Well, good morning. Uh, it's great to be back with all of you. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that Priscilla and I were gone last weekend. Uh, we were in San Luis Obispo celebrating Priscilla's Aunt Anna's 90th birthday, 90, 90 years. She and her husband, Ben, were the pastors of the church that I grew up in in San Diego for many years. Um, and they and their family are very near and dear to our hearts, so it was great to be with them. But after a quick trip and a kind of a little short mini vacation, uh, we are back as we move from the official end of summer this Friday to this, the fall uh, on Saturday. Autumn actually is uh, my favorite season of the year because even though we live in California, the change is obvious, right? School starts, the days grow shorter. Uh, football season begins, which means that the Chargers, who for some reason, some are saying this year will go to the Super Bowl, have begun yet another season with a loss. <laughs> Change of season means transition, right? And Lord knows we here at Harvest are in transition and have been for a, a good long time now, yeah? Transition can be a hard thing, even though sometimes it's a good thing. Uh, it can be unnerving, and it can produce anxiety. On the other hand, if everything stays the same, we can get restless. We can get bored easily, right? Like living 90 years. Yeah, that's a long time. Um, for her... Uh, her Auntie Anna and her husband, Ben Chow, he's one of my, my spiritual mentors. Actually, Ben is 96 years old. Imagine that, 96 years. Now, for folks who are nonagenarians, which actually my mom is also one, she's 91 this year, uh, it must be fairly challenging to face every day with a positive outlook. And yet, people like Auntie Anna, my mom, and others I know have lived that long do live with positive outlooks, and it's great. Well, what about you? Uh, I don't think we have any 90-somethings uh, in our congregation, do we? Uh, I don't think. Maybe a few youngsters in their 80s. Uh, but everyone else, you know, you're not even close. But I tell you that as I approach adding another year to my sixth decade of life, um, having something to look forward to is getting harder and harder every year. The longer you live, you know, pretty much uh, everything that you have wanted to do, you've probably done something like that anyway. Um, that bucket list keeps getting shorter and shorter. So how do we live well? How do we live in a constant change, uh, in constant change and yet constant repetition? How do we live well in that? Well, today we're looking at a pretty familiar passage of Scripture, uh, familiar because we, we've actually studied through Ecclesiastes in 2015, uh, but also because this particular passage was set to music by Pete Seeger in the 50s and was recorded by the pop group The Birds in the 60s. And it became a folk rock hit called Turn, 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 or um, To Everything There Is a Season. I don't know if you remember that song. Uh, Ecclesiastes, like Proverbs, which we've been studying through, is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. 
unlike Proverbs, which is filled with short, pithy, memorable, sometimes comedic sayings that generally apply to life, Ecclesiastes is much more nuanced. It's much more subtle. It's much more complex, and it deals with much, with much deeper questions of life, like, what is life about? Is there really meaning and purpose to life? And while Proverbs, much of it was written by King Solomon, perhaps through his life and reign as king of Israel, Ecclesiastes is attributed simply to the preacher, king of Israel, in chapter 1, verse 1. And while he is not named, there is actually only one person who aptly fits this description and has the wisdom and credentials to write such a magnum opus. And that is most probably King Solomon himself. So we're probably looking at the same person. Ecclesiastes, though, was probably written much later in his life, perhaps even toward the end of it, as he waxes philosophically on the purpose and meaning of life. And so here we find ourselves in perhaps one of the most poetic, beautiful, yet deeply troubling pieces of literature ever written, a poem turned into a pop song. Maybe we could say that God wrote a pop hit. Now let's look at it again, and as we do, we'll see that King Solomon actually covers every aspect of life. Um, in verse, verses 1 through th- 3, for instance, he covers the physical, everything that pertains to the physical aspects of human life. In, in verse 4, he covers the things that pertain to the soul, our, our emotions, our will, our thoughts. And finally, in verses 5 through 8, He covers the spiritual, things that touch the deepest part of ourselves, the spiritual parts of human existence. Living through the seasons of change means first responding to the relentless rhythm of life. The relentless rhythm of life. So let's review this a little bit, okay? There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search, and a time to give up. A time to keep, And a time to throw away. Maybe some of you can relate to this. I I certainly can. A time to tear or rend. And a time to mend. A time to be silent. And a time to speak. A time to love. And a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. 
What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Solomon begins his thought with the observation that everything, every activity, has a time and a season under heaven. In other words, here, here on earth. Sorry, I'm going to go back. Here on earth. In, the, in this first half of the passage, we see a pattern of expression that is inescapable. There is a rhythm and a meter here that lends itself naturally to being sung. You can almost hear the refrain sung in that pop, pop folk style made so famous by the birds. But in that beautiful rendering of this poetic writing, you might lose some of the punch of the purpose of Solomon's writing. You see here, there is a very purposeful order of things written. And in fact, that the words that are repeated over and over again, you almost get a sense of the relentless, repetitive rhythm of life. Don't you? And on closer inspection, you might even notice that for every positive aspect of life listed, a time to be born, a time to build, a time to heal, there is a negative aspect recited as well, a time to die, to tear down, to kill. Fourteen positives and fourteen negatives, over and over again. And what do you end up with? Well, it's really the ultimate zero-sum game isn't it? And that's what life for the most part is, right? Isn't it? It's a no-win situation. I once read a bumper sticker that said, life is hard and then you die. That's a pretty pathetic view of life, isn't it? But isn't that truly what Solomon is trying to communicate here? That life at its very core is a daily grind and there's no escaping it? The daily grind of life can wear you down bit by bit by bit by bit until at the end of your life, you are a shell of what you once were. There's a story about a famous physician who was famous for his wisdom. A man came to him one day and said, Doc, I want you to see what's going on with me. I want want you to see what's wrong with me. So the doctor checked him over. And he said, well, your heart is okay, your, young, your lungs are good, your blood pressure is normal, but you look as if you're run down, tired, disillusioned, and unhappy. You need to do what I did. Here's my prescription for you. Go out to the circus in town and laugh at the clown, the famous clown that's there with his funny mask, his big shoes, his red nose, his slapstick humor, He is hilarious. I went and laughed and laughed. I prescribed for you to visit the very same circus, sit for two hours and laugh, laugh at that clown, and you will forget your troubles, and you will have a happy heart. And the man looked at him and said, Doc, your prescription won't help me at all. I'm that clown. So what does a worker have to show for his toil? What does the clown have to show for all his hard work? 
You know, we go to work so we can earn money, so we can buy food to live, so we can go to work to earn money, to buy food to live, so we can go to work to earn money, and so forth, and so on, and so on. And it's no wonder that, that it's called the rat race, yeah? Uh, and there seems to be no end, no exit ramp, no escape. And yet escape we try, don't we? None of us is immune. No matter what age we are, whether we are young in years, still under the authority and command of our parental units, uh, whether we are a bit further along, gaining skills and experience to make it in life, in the real world, or perhaps you've reached that age where you are beginning or have begun to start your own family, and now you are the parental units. Uh, You have responsibility over those rugrats or terrible teens or having difficulty to launch young adults. Or or maybe you're passing close to those golden years of retirement, uh, and, and retirement's not too far off, and you're looking forward to the days of leisure and travel and enjoyment, Um, and that's where I'm at today. That's my current situation. And uh, let me tell you, it's none too comfortable. Me of my aching hands and, and knees and flagging memory. Uh, I'm right there, folks, and I'm finding myself looking for a bit of relief, for a bit of escape. We are all are experiencing that, right? And we each have our own little peculiar favorite pet form of escapism, don't we? And some of them are innocuous, more innocuous than others, uh, and some can be pretty damaging, Right? Uh, yes, yeah, some of our escapism is, isn't too damaging, and yet some people take even those too seriously, right? I'm amused by the chatter on the MoviePass Facebook group. I don't know if you belong to that. To be sure, some people take MoviePass for what it is, uh, an inexpensive way for a momentary repass, for an hour or two in an air-conditioned room with a group of like-minded friends. But some people become simply unhinged just because the movie they wanted to see isn't available today or right at this moment, or they can't just go and watch any movie they want any day of the week in an unlimited smorgasbord of entertainment bliss. But then there's the more serious forms of escapism that unfortunately run into the addiction category. And we know all of those, and I don't think I need to um, repeat the litany of what all of that entails. You see, when we face the relentless cycle and rhythm of life, we are forced to respond in some way. And that's what King Solomon, in his great wisdom, is trying to warn us about. He's lived it. He's done it all. He's had every advantage. His bucket list is very, very short. And he's still facing day after day, having tried it all, he's still facing the relentless rhythm of life, day in and day out. And the truth is, when it comes right down to it, that unless you have God in your life, and unless you see things through God's lenses, through his perspective, life is meaningless. It's vanity. It's a daily grind. Now you face that truth with honesty, without trying to escape it, and you must respond in some way. You must respond. 
Now, some people do face it. You know, they just bear down and try harder and pull up their bootstraps and muddle through life and do it with like a sneer on their face. I'm going to beat this thing. Others drown themselves and deaden the pain until they can't feel it anymore, and still others just check out altogether. And the suicide rate just keeps rising and rising. But there's another answer, isn't there? At least that's what the preacher here is trying to point us towards. You see, with God as the captain of your ship, with Jesus at the helm, at the wheel of life, we can start to view life from a different perspective, right? And so living through seasons of life and of change also means sorry, accepting the gracious gift of God. Accepting the gracious gift of God. This is one of my favorite portions of scripture. It, it really tells it all in a nutshell. Solomon goes on to say, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure er, forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. So what is the answer to the aching question of the meaning and purpose of life? King Solomon tells us the answer is simple, really. Our response to looking into the abyss of eternity, into the meaningless, the meaninglessness, the vanity of life without purpose, is to anchor yourself to the only thing that is meaningful, the only one that does give purpose, the ultimate origin of origins, to embrace and cling to the eternal one, the creator, the first and the last, the Alpha, and the Omega. When we see God for who he is, as the one who made everything beautiful in his time, then we can live at peace. We can accept the gracious gifts of God. The Eternal One has set eternity in our hearts, and yet we still don't fully comprehend it, do we? The burden of man is to work this seemingly endless rhythm of life until our very last breath. But how we live it will make all the difference. God has purposefully purposefully set us on this course so that we might seek him out. That this longing for heaven and eternity might give us a hunger and thirst for something more. You see, this is the great gift of God. Not a curse. Not a curse. And if we see it as a gift of God, then our perspective changes and we welcome the mundane, the daily routine, as a gracious gift of God, of the God of the universe. Then there is nothing better for people than to be happy, to do good, to eat and drink and find satisfaction in all our work, all of our toil. 
This is truly a gift of God. But do we enter each day with the right lenses on, with the right point of view? If we do, then everything changes. I've heard the great Scottish preacher Alistair Begg put it this way. We can read this line in two ways, and, um, and it's like this. One positively, like this. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Or we can read it with a slightly different inflection, and that changes the meaning. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while we live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. Gives it a different flavor, right? For some of us here today, though, that reflects the condition of our heart. You're worn down by the constant struggle of living, and maybe you don't even experience joy in the simplest of pleasures, a good meal with friends, having conversation over coffee or dessert and sharing life together, a quiet walk along a bubbling stream, or to drink in the purple and blue hues of the twilight sky. And God would want to woo you back to his embrace and to say to you, you are my beloved. I know every aching of your heart. I am right here with you. I want, to be, I want you to be joyful in your living. I love the old hymn, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Have you ever heard that hymn? Yeah. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. God knows everything and sees everything. There isn't anything that misses his eye. His sovereign hand is over your life. And if he takes care of even the smallest sparrow, he will take care of you. So where are you today, beloved? Which response do you lean towards? This morning when you woke up, did you say, good morning, Lord? Or did you say, good Lord, morning? <laughs> Sean said last week, God wants our experience here at church to be one of rest and of peace and of joy. He wants us to put people above things or tasks. There's a sign up where I go for cardiac rehab that says, it's not the life in your years that count. It's the year, it's the, sorry, it's not the years in your life that count, it's the life in your years. That's a great reminder to me as I seek to take care of this clay vessel that God has given to me, that how long I live is less important to God. It's what I do with those years that matter greatly to God. 
But there's something that can bring us even more into that place of peace and rest and joy. And that is this, that we celebrate the sacrifice of our Savior. We celebrate the sacrifice of our Savior. Peter wrote in his epistle, first epistle, chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is one who is the final solution to the meaning and purpose of life question, and that is Christ. Christ and the gospel of Christ, in him we have all that we need to live a fulfilled and meaningful life. Even, the, even through the relentless rhythm and constant change that face us in Christ, we are born into a living hope through his sacrificial death on the cross. And then, of course, through his resurrection from the dead. Victory over death itself. What else do we need? What else is needed? King Solomon did not know this truth when he wrote Ecclesiastes. He only wrote what was revealed to him. And even in that revelation that God has put eternity in the hearts of man was something Solomon could not have come up with himself. God had to impart some sort of spiritual, supernatural understanding to him for him to be able to to write such a profound statement. But that wasn't the complete picture. As profound as that was, it was only part of the story. In Christ, we have the full measure of God's solution to man's conundrum. And all that we need to do is accept and celebrate this greater gift. In Christ, God replaces our sin and shortcomings with his perfection and righteousness. And all we need to do is accept and receive that gift. And we will be forgiven and redeemed when we turn from our godless life to a God-filled life. And when we do that, we can face eternity with great assurance that our eternal destiny is with Christ himself. That is something to look forward to. That is something that we can celebrate every waking moment with joy. Whether your life is boring and mundane or your life is an exciting YOLO, FOMO type of life, when you live it with Christ, it's all a gift. So live it that way. When you give life, your life to Christ, give him your all. We're going to close this morning by celebrating the greatest gift of all, and that is Christ's sacrifice on the cross as we take communion together. I'm going to ask the ushers, or the elders actually, to come forward, Al and uh, Sean, uh, as we prepare. Um... And as we do that, I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in that, Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. We take these elements, as Christ said, in remembrance of what he did for us. The bread representing his body, broken on the cross. The juice representing his blood, poured out as he was pierced for our sins. Now, as we take these elements, please take a few moments to, as Paul said, examine yourselves. If your spirit has been depleted, ask God to fill it up. If you have any sin that needs confessing, confess it to that, that to God. And then celebrate. Celebrate with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength the sacrifice of our Savior. And then in a few moments, we will take the elements together. And let me say that if you aren't sure of what the, com- the meaning of communion is, and if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ at this moment, and you don't know what that means, then just simply pass the elements uh, to the next person. You know, we don't want to have anyone do anything here that puts them in an uncomfortable place. But if you're interested in knowing what that means, what it means to have a relationship with Christ, what it means for communion, then please approach one of the pastors or the elders um, or the deacons, and we would love to have that conversation. So again, as Paul wrote, on that evening, Christ took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it. And as often as you do it, do you do it in remembrance? And in like manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of what I have done for you. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears have come.
pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we could commune with you, that we could have just a time to be with you, to speak with you, to hear from you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the great sacrifice that you gave for us, willingly going to the cross, having your body broken and your blood shed. But then thank you also for the great victory of the resurrection that we can experience every day of our life, every moment. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being here with us and filling us with your presence. We acknowledge that you are here with us. And we thank you for being with us every day, empowering us to live for you, not just to go through the cycle of life, but to live in victory and in celebration. And so we give you thanks. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Let's take the elements together. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up forward and lead us in our closing. And we're going to continue worship with giving back to God. So as the ushers pass the, um, the, the offering bags around, you can drop your welcome card into it. And I believe we will also have bags to collect the, uh, uh, the cups, the communion cups.